This is Becoming Anti-Fragile with I.J. McCann. Each week I read a book and highlight the actionable wisdom within. To become anti-fragile, you must strengthen your mind and live with conviction. Let's get into it. It was a toolkit that I developed over the course of 60 years and followed successfully on my journey through the previous three acts of my life. It was the very same one I reached for more than a decade ago now when I hit bottom and decided to dig myself out of the hole. This toolkit is not revolutionary. If anything, it's timeless. These tools have always worked. They will always work. I think of them like elements of a blueprint or a roadmap to a happy, successful, useful life, whatever that means for you. They involve knowing where you want to go and how you're going to get there, as well as having the willingness to do the work and the ability to communicate to the people you care about that the journey you want to bring them on is worth the effort. They include the capacity to shift gears when the journey hits a roadblock and the ability to keep an open mind and learn from your surroundings to find a new way through. And most important of all, once you get where you're trying to go, they demand that you acknowledge all the help you had along the way and that you give back accordingly. This book is called Be Useful because that is the best piece of advice my father gave me. It is stuck in my brain and never left. And my hope is that the advice I'm offering you in the pages to follow will do the same thing. Being useful was also the motivating force behind all of my decisions and the organizing force around the tools I used to make them. Being a bodybuilding champion, being a millionaire leading man, being a public servant, those were my goals, but they were not what motivated me. For a number of years, my father didn't agree with my version of what it means to be useful. And I might not agree with your version when it comes down to it. But that is not the purpose of good advice. It's not to tell you what to build. It's to show you how to build and why it matters. My father passed away at the same age when I brought my world crashing down on me. I never had the chance to ask him what I should do. But I have a good idea of what he would tell me. Be useful, Arnold. I wrote this book to honor those words and pay forward his advice. I wrote it in appreciation for the years I've had that he didn't, which I've used to make amends, to climb back from the bottom and to build the fourth act of my life. I wrote this book because I believe that anyone can benefit from the tools I've used through every phase of my life and that all of us need a reliable roadmap for the kind of life we've always wanted to live. Most of all, I wrote it because somebody needs to be useful. This is an excerpt from Be Useful by Arnold Schwarzenegger. I got this book for Christmas for my wife, amongst many other books. Initially, this was not the episode I was going to do for this week. It was a separate book. But I started reading this book and I couldn't put it down. So I just read through the whole thing. And by the end of it, I decided that this was the book I was going to do for this week. Partially because when I release this episode on, on December 31st, it's going to be the last day of 2023. And for many of us, the last day of the year is the time we reflect on the past year that's gone by. Like, What have we done that we think we should continue to do? What are some habits? What are some 
characteristics that we want to change to better ourselves. And when you're doing this, it's very important to have a future vision of what you want the next year, the next three years, the next five, 10 years to look like. Because having that vision allows you to have a sense of direction. It allows you to not be a ship sailing in the water with no direction looking for land when you don't even know that you're looking for land. This book, Be Useful, is is filled with practical advice and something that I, I think everybody should grab a hold of. Once we go through this episode, I think you'll want to buy this book. The reason I enjoy this book is not because it's deeply philosophical. It's not because it's amazing what he's saying, but it's just the way that Arnold, when he's talking and when he's giving the advice, is down to earth. It's quite grounded. It's as if he's talking to you. And I think one of the best ways that you can get your message across is to speak in a way that makes sense to those that you're trying to get to. A great message can lose its meaning if the language that you're using doesn't resonate with people. And this book is a helpful introduction to you if you are you know, wanting to get something more practical out of books. Right? If you're sort of sick and tired of reading all these theoretical books that tell you hey, you should be disciplined, but don't really explain why you should be this uh, disciplined and how that's practical. And with Arnold, his life is like a movie, right? It seems crazy that a random kid from Austria gets into bodybuilding, becomes Mr. Universe, moves to the US, becomes Mr. Olympia, wins multiple championships, then decides that he wants to be the action hero, right? The action hero, the lead man, and becomes the lead man in many, many movies, Tons of his movies are blockbusters. Then he decides that he wants to get into politics. So you have an Austrian bodybuilder with somewhat of a thick accent who becomes a movie star, then decides to become a politician. If you were to write this story out, nobody would believe you that it's real. But for Arnold, it's real. And so his book, Be Useful, is essentially all the tools that he's used over these three acts in his life to get to where he got to and to tell you how he did it. And he's giving these very helpful, practical precepts. And he breaks the book down into into seven chapters. You don't have to read this book in order to get value from this book. You can just pick up the book, look at the chapters, see what it is that you want to learn about and just go to that page. So for example, chapter six is shut your mouth, open your mind. The chapter is his advice on having people around you that you can learn from and making sure that you're always learning, right? Making sure that your ego doesn't get in the way because it's when your ego gets in the way that you stop learning. So there's a great documentary called Arnold, which just came out uh, sometime this year, I believe. It's his three acts. So it's his bodybuilding, how he became a bodybuilding champion, how he became a movie star, and how he became a politician, uh, the governor of California specifically. And it's broken down into those three parts. I would highly recommend watching that. It's not only inspirational, but it has some very practical advice as well. And when I watched that documentary, I remember thinking how insane his story is and of how many gems he was dropping in terms of advice. And one of those advice was having a clear vision. You know, that that's his first chapter in the book, right? Have a clear vision. The reason having a clear vision is important in your life is because without a vision, you don't really know where you're going. But with the vision, at least you have a sense of direction. And having a sense of direction is strongly tied to living a meaningful life. Without a sense of direction, that is when we are prey to being filled with anxiety, being becoming depressed, because we feel like our lives are not moving forward. We feel like we're stuck. 
And having a vision makes a big difference. So as the year ends and as you start reflecting on what you want the next year to look like, you know, I, I recommend you think, really think deeply about what it is that you want to do. Ask yourself the question, if my 85-year-old version could time travel back to me right now, what would he tell me? You know, what would he say are the most important things in my life? What are some characteristics that he would say that I should continue to work on, to become, to improve upon? And what are some things that I'm doing right now that are harming me, that are actually drawing me away from the things that I could be great at? And this is a question that I, me personally, ask myself at the end of each year. And I've been doing it for quite a few years. It's allowed me to navigate through decisions that initially would have been difficult to make or if I didn't have a vision of what, where I wanted to be in 60, 70 years. And Arnold actually has something along the lines of this. He says, if you can't fully see your vision, if you can't picture what success is and what it isn't, it becomes very hard to assess opportunities and challenges like this. And by this, what he's referring to is in 1974, after he won his fifth Mr. Olympia, he got a call from the fitness pioneer, Jack LaLame. So Jack was the one who invented a bunch of exercise machines and he invented the concept of health clubs. And at that time, he had around 200 health clubs and he wanted Arnold to be the spokesperson for this, right? To do all these tours and advertisements. So basically an ambassador. And Jack offered Arnold $200,000 a year in 1974, which with inflation is a lot of money. And at that time, the highest paid bodybuilder was making around $50,000 a year. So $200,000 is a significant increase. But when Arnold heard the offer, when Arnold was given down the offer, he didn't even think twice. He said, no, I'm not doing it. And the reason he didn't do it is precisely because Arnold had the vision, right? He says, the problem was that accepting his offer would prevent me from doing movies, which is where my vision was taking me by this point in my bodybuilding career. Knowing that made saying no very easy. I was comfortable with the idea of turning down all that money and that different type of fame the job would bring. I was calm knowing that I just sidestepped something that was an amazing opportunity, but also a big distraction. Having a vision gives you the focus to narrow in what it is that you want to do. It makes it easier to remove distraction. So the question is, well, then what is vision? Arnold says, vision is purpose and meaning. To have a clear vision is to have a picture of what you want your life to look like and a plan for how to get there. And he goes on to say, only you can create the life you want for yourself. No one else is going to do it for you. And I don't think that can be understated. You cannot wait for somebody else. You can't wait for somebody else's approval to do what you want to do, to pursue what you want to pursue. You have to do it yourself right now. You have to start doing it. And obviously it is hard. And that's what Arnold goes on to say. He goes on to say, look, it's hard to put in the work. What is harder is to live a life that you hate by comparison Doing the hard work to figure out what you want to do in life and pursuing it is the easy part, right? So his point is you have two options in life. Either you do the things that you hate to do and you continue to do those things, whether those are habits that you have, right? Whether those are hedonistic desires that you have, as the Buddha says, look, these hedonistic desires that you have, they are what's ultimately going to kill you. So either you can continue to do these things or you put in the hard work to cultivate a mind of discipline, a mind of virtue. 
And the point that Arnold is making here is it is hard to pursue a life of discipline. But by comparison, doing this hard work is much easier because you are doing the things that are eventually going to pay off. Pay off in so far as you become more disciplined. You start, you achieve the goals and the dreams that you have. Versus if you continue to go down this path that you hate and a path that you don't even want to begin with, then you'll be stuck doing things that are not fulfilling to you, that are not meaningful to you. And that life is going to be much, much harder. So put in the work. And Arnold says, the more harsh condition you put a sword through during its creation, heating, pounding, cooling, grinding over and over and over again, the stronger, the sharper, the more resilient it becomes. And that is where your life will be if you're willing to go through the difficult work of confronting your demons, confronting your bad habits, and creating for yourself a vision of where you want to be, of who you want to be. This all starts by doing small things. It's important to remember that even if you have a big vision, you can't just go out there and, and try to achieve that immediately, right at the second. One of the analogy that he uses around this is you can't just swallow an elephant because it's not going to work. You have to slowly eat away the elephant. And so he says, start doing the small things, right? Build up that habit, build up that muscle. And for Arnold, it was a discipline that he had when he was a bodybuilder, when he would wake up at 5 a.m. to work out, then work all day, then go back at 6 p.m. to the gym and work out again. So he was working out four hours, I believe, every single day. And people that he was working out with couldn't compete with his output. And so he had to have multiple workout partners. Now, it doesn't have to be like this for you, right? The point here is not about working out. The point here is, are you willing to continually put yourself into uncomfortable situation where you know that the other side of this is going to be incredible? So he says, this life isn't a dress rehearsal. It's not a practice or a training session. It's the real thing. It's the only one you have. So see it and then be it. His point is, make sure that you're living your life on your own terms and not at the whim of somebody else. Take your life seriously. Make sure that you're cultivating the habits that you want to have later down as you age. Because there are bad habits that you carry on that you think aren't going to have a strong impact later on, but they'll compound over time in the background. And so by the time you get to you know, 50, 60, these bad habits have grown so large that it becomes way more difficult to call it away to destroy it than had you put in the effort early on uh, and got yourself away from it. The other important thing about having a vision is is very similar to what Maxwell Maltz said in Psycho-Cybernetics. It's the episode that we did, episode 006. Right? Maxwell Maltz, quick reminder, is a plastic surgeon. And one of the points that Maxwell Maltz says when he was working with his patients, and what he found was that most of his patients needed more than the plastic surgery to, to actually feel an inward change. The plastic surgery was not enough sometimes. And so what Maltz found was that you had to have a vision of yourself ahead of time, such that once the outward change had taken place, it ended up aligning with what your inner world was like. He gives multiple examples from his, from his work, but the practical precept that he has is visualization is the key to all of this. And for Maltz, he says you have to believe in this vision of yourself before you can actually have it. And this is true, especially when you look at high-performing athletes, right? When you look at, say, interviews of Michael Phelps, the Olympic winner, he says, look, 
I visualize swimming all the strokes that I'm doing and getting my hand lifted. If you watch Formula One, one of the interesting things you see with these drivers is that they will close their eyes and they will drive through the track and visualize the turns that they're doing, the when they're going to press the acceleration, when they're going to press the brakes. And they're able to see all of this in their head so that when they actually do the track in real life, they've practiced this a hundred times. For Arnold, having the vision alone is not enough. You have to feel it. The example he gives is when he when he was a boy in Austria, you know, all he sees are these pictures of Reg Parks. Where Reg Park wins Mr. Universe, he is Hercules, and Arnold wants to see himself where Reg Park is. So Arnold starts having this vision, creating this vision for himself of him flexing his muscles in front of hundreds and thousands of people, chanting Arnold, Arnold, Arnold. And he sees himself holding the trophy, looking down on his opponents on his left and his right, the second and third, and seeing their defeated face. And he's able to feel the emotion that he, he, he feels. And through this, what's happening, according to Maxwell Maltz and according to some of the most recent studies coming out of visualization, is that your, your mind and body cannot tell the difference between you visualizing and feeling all this emotion and it actually happening. There are new pathways being created in your brain that allows your body and mind to start to get used to the success that you're having. And obviously, <laughs> Arnold is fully aware that it sounds a bit woo-woo. That's a term he uses. And he says, look, visualization alone is not going to do the work, which is true. And it's important for us to acknowledge that. That visualization alone doesn't do anything. You actually have to put in the work. But, right, it is an important component. And so for Arnold, you have to visualize and you have to put in the work. He has this quote, you can't hope your way into the winner's circle. You need to see your way there. So Arnold says, to give the performance of a lifetime, to achieve any kind of vision, no matter how insane or impossible, you need to be able to see what the world sees when they're watching you try to achieve it. Here is where it becomes important to visualize. Because if you don't believe that you can get there, you're never going to get there. And so when you get there without you believing it, you'll feel like a fraud. You'll feel like an imposter. And that's the last thing that you want to feel when you attain the vision that you have built for yourself. When you're able to succeed in your plan, in your vision. And Arnold is well known in the movie industry, in the bodybuilding industry as one of the most hardworking people. It's no surprise there. So he says, nothing builds character like resilience or perseverance through pain. Nothing destroys character like succumbing to pain and quitting. The idea here is pain is temporary. Like the pain of you putting in the work is temporary. It's going to fade. It's, it's, it's only there for a brief moment and you'll get through the other side and pain that's physical or mental. You can be going through something extremely difficult, something painful. But what makes the biggest difference is for you not to give up. Right? For you not to give up, for you not to succumb to your suffering. For you to overcome the pain and for you to channel that pain into something positive. That is what makes the difference. And it is your ability to persevere through that pain that makes you a greater person, that builds your character and the important thing is to acknowledge the pain, right? To feel the pain, to not hide from the pain, to not try to brush it away, but to really feel the pain because it is in your ability to feel the pain. It is in your ability to absorb the pain 
that builds the resilience. It's not people will often mistake that pain and suffering is is bad. It should not happen at all, right? The, the very common and famous retort for why God doesn't exist, for example, is that there's pain and suffering in the world, right? Why do good people suffer? Why do good men and women suffer? Why do they have to go through difficult times if they're good? Why does God allow these evils to happen to them, right? these suffering, this pain and suffering to happen to them? And that misses the whole point of life. To live in this world means you will suffer. There is no escaping the pain, the suffering of existence. You will lose your parents. You will lose your friend. You will lose your child. Suffering is guaranteed in this life. And everybody's suffering is different. But it is guaranteed. And look, the last thing I want to do is downplay suffering. Suffering sucks. And I know this. And I know this from experience. And when you're suffering, the last thing you want is somebody telling you some positive aphorism around suffering. But the reality is, whatever suffering you're going through, you have the strength to endure it. And not only that, you have the strength to endure it virtuously. And that is all that you can do. You might not be able to control the situation that has caused you to suffer. But you can control your mind. You can control your attitude towards it. And most importantly, you can control how you react to it. And oftentimes, suffering will build your character. And everybody's suffering is different. And many of our sufferings are internal. They happen in our mind. We suffer more in our minds than in reality. And for Arnold, it's important to embrace the pain. And it's only through pain that victory is achieved. The victory here is of having built the resilience, the being, having built the character to endure the suffering. Right? Your ability to endure suffering speaks volume to who you are. And one of the things that Arnold brings up is this idea of amor fati, which means love your fate. And when we did Epictetus last episode, Epictetus says, Do not seek for things to happen the way you want them to happen. Rather, wish that what happens happens the way it happens. Then you will be happy. Epictetus wants you not to succumb to the idea of becoming unsatisfied and becoming depressed and becoming saddened by the situation around you. Epictetus instead wants you to embrace what is happening to you. Embrace your fate. Embrace the challenges that the gods have given to you. It is through that that you get stronger. You want to make sure that you're living a life that you are able to repeat over and over again. For Nietzsche, one of his self-proclaimed fundamental doctrine was a thought experiment where he says, imagine a demon approaches you and tells you that you have to live your life exactly as you've lived, including everything that you've done, every pain, every joy, over and over again for eternity. Are you able to say yes to that offer? Are you able to say, yes, I'm willing to live my life over and over and over again? It's going to be hard to say yes if you've not lived your life on your own terms, if you've not lived a life that you feel is worthy of who you are and what you want to become. But it becomes easier to say yes if you're working towards a life, if you're putting in the work, putting in the effort to pursue the things that you have a goal towards, to have a vision towards. But not only that, because material success alone will not give you the ultimate joy, the ultimate contentment, the eudaimonia. 
what will give you the ultimate eudaimonia. One of the most important message for Arnold in regards to Nietzsche's demon is, do you have the characteristics? Have you cultivated the right characteristics, you know, the strong characteristics, the virtues to be able to relive this life over and over again? Because if you have, every single repeat of this life is going to be towards cultivating the right, the good, proper virtues. You're going to be working towards a life of, of harmony. That is the message from Aristotle. That is a message from Confucius. That is a message from the Buddha. It's a life of moderation. It's a life of harmony. And like we went over in the last episode, you know, it's a life, a life of virtue is a life of harmony between the extremes, right? And so Arnold says, if you have a vision, make sure it's big enough. Make sure it's huge. Don't have a small vision because if you have a small vision, you might attain those things. And if you attain those things, you might be dissatisfied. So you might as well dream big. There's a German phrase that Arnold uses called Wenn schon, den schon. Hopefully my grade nine German comes through here. And what it means is if you're going to do something, you do it. Go all out. Go all in. To use Arnold's terminology, don't have ass your way through this. right? If you're going to do something, if you're going to dream, if you're going to have this vision, make sure one, it's large and it's big, but also you're going to pursue it wholeheartedly. This this reminds me of when the Apostle John talks about lukewarm people. He says, you're neither hot, you're neither cold, you're lukewarm. And lukewarm is no good. And similarly here, obviously different contexts, but the idea here is the same, right? You, you have to go all in, you have to go all out. You can't have, you can't sit in the middle, you can't sit on the fence. So he gives the example of his friend, James Cameron. James Cameron and Arnold did Terminator together. So James Cameron, when he was filming the Titanic, you know, James is known as one of the craziest guys in Hollywood because he, when he makes a movie, he goes all in, right? There's no half-assing his way. When he decided that he was going to film Titanic, he wanted to make sure that everything about that movie was as accurate as possible. James Cameron built a replica inside of a 40 million water tank, a replica of the Titanic, right? It was around 700 feet. And inside of this uh, ship, inside of the Titanic replica, there were, you know, different sets in different rooms and, you know, different rooms at different things. They rotated, they dropped, they moved, and it was crazy. And tons of people thought it was crazy. But James didn't cut any corners, right? For him, the accuracy was important. He, and it was important that the viewers were fully taken and drawn into the movie. Funny and small, important details for James was making sure that all the dishes in the movie was was stamped with the white star line, which was, I guess, the catering company there. He also went the extra mile and gave character stories to all the movie extras, right? All those people you see in the movie that are in the background when the camera is following the main character. James went and gave background stories to all of these guys. And what ended up happening is the movie opens in 1997, December 1997. In the opening week, it crossed a million dollars. Then by the end of its theatrical release, Titanic had become the largest blockbuster movie, right? It had earned over $1.8 billion. And so Arnold says, what I'm saying is, if you're going to do it, do it. Not because going all in might be the thing that guarantees your success, but because not going all in will absolutely guarantee that you will fall short. And the obvious part of all of this is if you dream big, there is the possibility of you not 
achieving those dreams. And for Arnold, it's just, it's having this big vision, you know, that allows you to prove yourself, prove to yourself who you really are, what you are made of. And in, in this journey of working towards his vision, you know, you start to build your character. And he quotes Seneca, who says, no man is more unhappy than he who never faces adversity, for he is not permitted to prove himself. So then Arnold goes on to say, and when you have this big dream, you will always have people who you know, are skeptical of you. And Arnold says, these naysayers, they're always going to be in the, on the road when you're walking this path. But you cannot let them affect you. So he says, you have a choice with the naysayers you face on the road to achieving your goals. You can ignore them or you can use them. You just can't ever believe them. Arnold wants you to take their negativity as fuel to propel you forward. One thing I want to add here is, you know, what's better here is not only that you use the negativity that and the skepticism that your that these naysayers have, but it is the mo- the most important thing is believing in yourself on this journey. Because if you don't believe in yourself, you will always look for approval from other people. So when people don't believe in you, it's going to impact you. But if you believe in yourself, even if there are negative even if there are negativity around you, even if people are saying that you're never going to make it, saying this is crazy, saying all the things that people said to Arnold when he was trying to become the biggest bodybuilding star. Arnold believed in himself. I think one of the important things here is to understand that if you engage in the act of harnessing the negativity of the naysayers as fuel, you will likely end up being hooked on getting approval from other people. And as I was reading through this book, that's, that is evident in Arnold, that Arnold is fueled by the praises of the people that love him. And the downside of this is something that the Stoics and Buddha has said, and it is that you become attached. And when you become attached to the approval of others, to the praises of others, you're more vulnerable because you've allowed that which is external to you have a strong impact on your life. In this journey to pursuing this vision, Arnold says, it's important to not have a plan B. He says, there is no plan B. Plan B is to succeed at plan A. And he goes on to say, fuck plan B. The second you create a backup plan, not only are you going to give a voice to all the naysayers, but you are shrinking your own dream by acknowledging the validity of their doubts. Worse, you become your own naysayer. There are enough of them out there already. You don't need to add to their ranks. Once you understand that it is all within you, right? That you have the strength to dream and to achieve. You you allow yourself to become unstoppable. And where most people stumble is that they lack self-belief. And in lacking self-belief, it becomes easier for the skepticism and the doubts to seep into your soul, into your mind. and, And for you to end up quitting as a result of it. Arnold says, fulfilling a dream gives you the power to see further and deeper, further out in the world towards what is possible and deeper into yourself to what you are capable of. And it reminded me of a quote by Marcus Aurelius when he said, look well into yourself. There is a source of strength which will always spring up if you will always look. Arnold goes on to say, I learned that the only limits that truly exist are in our minds. What he's getting here is that what stops you more often than not and what limits you more often than not is what you believe about yourself and what you think is possible to achieve. 
So he proposes a counterfactual. He says, look, what if I stayed in Austria and became a police officer like my dad wanted me to be? Or what if I listened to the producers who told me to change my name to Arnold Strong because the last name, Schwarzenegger, was so weird and so long, it it just looked weird on posters. But for Arnold, he, in his vision, when he was visualizing him becoming a movie star, he saw the name Arnold Schwarzenegger. And so for him to revert to... Arnold Strong was in contrast was in contradiction to what he had seen and he he says well, look what would a life of good enough be like and if I did go all out go all in if I didn't when Sean then Sean it and he says I don't want to know a life of smaller dreams that I half asked doing some version of what everyone else does that sounds like a slow death to me I want no part of it and neither should you so then once you've had this vision, the important thing is to, like we've talked about, to, to work at these things, right? To make sure that you are putting in the work, to make sure you are continually pursuing it. And one of the most important things here for Arnold is making sure that you follow through with your word. Very similar to what we've talked about before, you have to make sure you practice what you preach. And he says, look, it seems like a small thing in isolation, right? This idea of following through with your word. But a lack of follow through at any moment can cause you to lose a match or p- lose potential gains, just like it can cause you to lose out in life. Following through in the small things, doing the small things continually over time will compound. And not only will it compound, but it builds the habit, it builds a practice for you to be able to do the work, to repetitively do the same work over and over again that you build a mental stamina, that you build a physical stamina to to endure any sort of hardship that might come along the way. And Arnold says, the only way to achieve the kind of sustainable, life-changing success that I wanted was to do the hard incremental work day in and day out. I had to focus on doing the reps and executing well. I had to listen to the pain and build on the growth that would eventually come. I had to follow through every day on the plan I'd created in pursuit of my larger vision. And if you want this vision to be supercharged, and this is Arnold's terminology, you have to tell the world about it. You have to expose it to the world. You not only have to tell the world about it, but you have to believe it in yourself. When you visualize, just like the athletes, you have to visualize you not only doing the repetition, doing the work, but also winning. Right? That's why you see... If you watch any mixed martial art fighters, when they're practicing, you know, at the end of five rounds of hard spar, you'll see them with their hands lifted up walking around because it's them imagining, it's them visualizing, it's them feeling that they've won the match. So then when they actually are in the cage and fighting and they win, it's as if it's a memory to them. And that's one of the big differentiators at the highest levels. So he says, if you really want to supercharge your dreams, expose them to the world don't just tell them about it act like it's already come true but you do that by talking openly about what you're working towards but removing the phrase will be from your vocabulary it's not i will be a great bodybuilder it's i can see myself as a great bodybuilder it's not i will be a leading man it's i can picture myself as a leading man so everything begins in your mind and it's true every anything you see in this world all started as a vision in somebody's mind, right? The fact that you're listening to this on some sort of device, whether that's on a phone or or through a speaker, right? The device existed in somebody's mind before it was actually built. 
this idea of visualizing is common not only amongst athletes, but it's common across some of the most successful entrepreneurs, right? Whether that's Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, or Edison, or Andrew Carnegie. One of the things that's going to happen is there is going to be the possibility of failing. And the advice that Arnold has is make sure that you understand this and make sure that you're willing to fail. But more importantly, make failure part of the positive game that you play. So he says, when failure is a positive part of the game you play, it's much less scary to search for the limits of your ability. You become unafraid to fail because you know that in reaching your goals, in reaching your vision, in reaching the vision that you have, there will be barriers, there will be roadblocks. As Arnold said before, the only time you fail is when you quit. But if you don't quit, failure is just part of life. And in you embracing this, you have skin in the game, right? You're, will, you're willing to bear the risk. You're not willing to transfer the risk to somebody else. And you're not hiding behind some sort of facade. And that's the point that Nassim Taleb makes. And this was episode 003. And the point that Taleb makes is be the type of person that's willing to bear the risk of their beliefs. Don't become a Bob Rubin where you trade the lives of millions and millions of people by betting and by gambling away their life savings in these crappy mortgages. And then when the whole thing crumbles, as it did in 2008, Bob Rubin had made out with over $100 million. And when he was investigated, he said, look, it was just a black swan event. When in reality, it really wasn't. He knew full well that this was very risky. Not only was it risky, that it was likely to happen. So he took all the upside. But when the whole thing came crashing down, he refused to take responsibility. And for Nassim Taleb and for Arnold Schwarzenegger, you have to become responsible for all your action. You have to become responsible for everything that happens. You cannot play the victim. And in our day and age, we've made this idea of victimology a virtue that somehow everybody's suffering and that somehow every single person, that somehow you're not responsible for your actions, that you're, the things that happen to you and your reaction to it, you're not responsible for. Not only have we coddled the minds of these people, but we've actually started to profit from this. And so we're starting to see right now a trend towards therapy, right? Especially with the rise of AI, there's all these AI uh, therapists that you can talk to about your breakup, about your, about your relationships, about your friendships, about the bad day that you had. There are all these therapies and, and tech companies are profiting an enormous amount of money from victim mindset that our generation is going through. The rise of on-the-go therapy where you can talk to a therapist anytime, anywhere with just a text, especially as AI takes a much greater hold in this world of therapy, pathologizes normal human behavior, like being sad after breakup, having anxiety. And there's a great article by Freya India that I came across earlier this week where she talks about this unhealthy therapy culture. I'll link the article below, um, and I recommend reading it because what these therapy companies are doing is that they're exploiting normal human behavior and shaming people for feeling that way. These girls, especially Gen Z women, are the ones who are most affected and are most drawn to this unhealthy therapy culture. If you're suffering, if you're going through something difficult, you don't need somebody else's approval that you're suffering. What you need is for you to face that pain, to embrace that pain and go through that. You don't need therapy in all of this, right? 
This unhealthy therapy culture arises because of the premium that we've placed on victimology, right? We've made it virtuous for people to identify themselves as victims. And that's something, you know, Arnold in interviews has talked about that he wants people to become responsible. And and that's why he wrote this book, right? He wants people to be useful. He doesn't want people to be victims of their circumstances. He doesn't want people to be victims of their traumas. He doesn't want people to be victims of their failures. Because if being a victim was such a good idea, then Arnold wouldn't be where he was. And Arnold wouldn't have gotten to where he got to. When you look at Arnold's life, when you watch the three-part documentary, or if you read his biography, you find out very soon that Arnold had quite an abusive father who was a drunk, who would beat him up, who would beat his mother up, who was very strict on them, right? His father was somebody who lost the war, and so he took it out on his children. And this, and Arnold goes on to say, look, this is this was the case for most children out there, right? Most of the Austrian children suffered the same fate that I did. But it was taking that suffering, taking that pain, taking that childhood trauma and using that for good and redirecting that energy towards building a life for himself to, uh, and towards building a life that he wanted to live. And it also allowed him to, you know, when he had kids, to raise them in a way that he thought would be the best, to not make the same mistakes that his father made. So obviously you're seeing the stark difference between our current victim mindset culture and Arnold's mindset. And that's why I think Be Useful is such a good book. The reason that you and I read these books is because no matter where we are in our lives, no matter how old we are, how young we are, we will never live long enough to gain all the wisdom in this world, all the wisdom of this life. And so we always need other people to to learn from. We need mentors, and especially, uh, you know, and if you can't have mentors, you know, you have books. And as we read these books, we're learning from the lives of people who've who are sometimes near the end of their life. In the case of Arnold, you know, he's lived, I I believe he's almost 80. So for you and I, when we're reading these books, we're essentially getting the wisdom that these guys cultivated over the years, over decades of their lives, right? And for Arnold, this book, Be Useful, is his life's philosophy in 200 pages. And the fact that you and I can read this and talk about this and absorb the lessons that Arnold's giving is incredible, right? And the fact that you can listen to this as I'm talking about this book, it allows us to explore, it allows us to expand our mind because if we passively wait, if we become victims and say, look, you know, I live in this small town somewhere where I have no, I have no mentors and, you know, I can't, I can't learn anything because there's nobody around me that wants to learn, then you're not going to learn. But if you say, look, yes, I'm in this small town like Arnold was, but I have access to the internet. I have access to books. I ha- I can listen to Becoming Anti-Fragile. I can listen to other podcasts. And you're able to absorb this. You're able to find you're able to find like-minded people. Then you're able to grow your mind by learning lessons. And you're able to learn through these books. And these books are from some of the greatest human beings that's ever lived. The chapter where Arnold talks about this is called "Shut Your Mouth and Open Your Mind." And he talks about this one guy named Freddy Gerstel, who's who's a father of one of his good friends. And Freddy Gerstel basically used to bring all the boys together in sort of like a sort of like a club, where he would teach them life lessons. Right? He would teach them about why it's important to not only think about growing your muscles, not only think about think about fame, think about money, and and women. It was important that Arnold and the boys focus on growing their mind and 
and making sure that their mind is always active. So Arnold says, if we wanted to be successful in anything we chose to do at any point in our lives, young or old, and if we wanted to maximize our potential and our opportunities, then we needed to have a good head on our shoulder and an active mind. And this is the lesson from Freddie Gerstel. And Arnold says, Freddie was the father figure that he never had. And Freddie was monumental because Freddie believed in Arnold when nobody else seemed to have believed in himself. And that gave Arnold a step up because he said, look, there's this guy who's much wiser than me, who believes in me, and who's also teaching me all these life lessons. And he gives another example where when he's looking to play, uh, when he's talking to Jim Cameron for the, move, for the movie Terminator, initially Arnold was to play Kyle Reese. But as he was reading the script, you know, he had all these ideas about the Terminator, the robot. And he told Jim, he's like, look, the robot, the, the Terminator should act this way, should be this way, should talk like this, should, you know, should hold his gun like this. And as he talked to Jim, Jim Cameron listened and Jim Cameron said, look, Arnold, I think you should play Terminator. And at first, Arnold was like, no, this is ridiculous. The Terminator is not the main character. He's, you know, he's like a side character. You know, I want to be the action hero. I want to be the lead man. However, as Arnold thought more and more about this, he came to Jim, you know, a few days later and said, look, I think actually you're right. I will play the Terminator. And the Terminator was one of the biggest blockbusters. You know, I remember watching Terminator. I actually, as I started reading this book and I was thinking about, thinking back on some of the movies I'd seen, I've actually seen quite a lot, if not the majority of Arnold movies. And I've always loved action movies and I've especially loved Arnold movies. So again, here was another example where Arnold listened to James Cameron's advice to play the Terminator, and he ended up becoming one of the biggest movie stars through it. And this is all because Arnold listened, right? He made sure that he was using his mind to grow in knowledge, to listen to the advice of his friends, of his peers, of those uh, mentors around him. So he says, if you don't regularly flex your mind like a muscle and put your knowledge to work, it will eventually lose its power. That's why, you know, we're going through these books because it is important as we grow older that we make sure we don't stop learning. We don't want to be somebody who who stopped learning when they finished university, when they finished grad school, you know, when they started working. We want to make sure that no matter how old we are, how young we are, we always have that hunger to learn. Because like I said, the knowledge out there is almost infinite. And what we're doing here is finding some of the best books out there to discuss and to make sure we're absorbing the lessons so that we can live better, more meaningful, more purposeful lives. And so uh, there's a section that Arnold has that reminded me of The Little Prince, which is another episode that we did. And Arnold says, curiosity is the first thing that dies within someone who was raised to think the world is what it is, and there's nothing they can do about it. After curiosity dies, the sponge that is their mind, turns into a brittle brick that struggles to absorb anything new and becomes incredibly fragile when confronted with difficult decisions. That was probably one of my favorite quotes in there. One, because of the usage of sponge and brick. When I was reading this, I could, I could see the sponge in my head, you know, absorbing the water. But with brick, I grew up near a brick factory, well, close to a brick factory uh, for a few years of my life. And when you're at that brick factory, there are tons of bricks that they don't end up using, right? And so you can go to this brick factory and, you know, usually what I do is I just take the bricks and, and throw it and it just shatter. It's just this clear picture that I got in my mind. And what Arnold's saying here is, look, if you don't have curiosity... Like if you're not wanting to learn, if you don't have this mindset of wanting to learn, then your mind is going to be like, like these bricks where 
they break easily. If you if you drop them, they shatter. But with a sponge, even if it's full, if you drop it, it doesn't shatter. Right? It might lose some water, but it doesn't shatter. And I really like that. And it reminded me of the Little Prince because one of the things that the Little Prince, when he's li- visiting the different planets, right? He's coming across these grown men who have given up on their dreams because they had to become grown-ups. And one of the lessons that the little prince is trying to teach is don't give up on your dreams. Don't stop being a little kid insofar as you're always curious because when you're around kids, they'll always ask you, why this, why this, what's this, what's that? And Saint Exupery, the author of The Little Prince, in the in the front of the book makes a dedication to all the children who've grown up. And and so for Arnold, we have to make sure that one, we're, we're regularly flexing our mind's muscle, right? And putting in the work to grow our knowledge. And that's important because when you read these books, you realize, oh, actually, I don't know so many things, right? As Socrates says, I know that I know nothing. That's what I always feel like when I'm reading books. You know, it's like a whole new lesson that I'm learning. And that's the beautiful thing about books. It requires a sense of humility to to read books. And that's why when you are around people who love to read books, there's something beautiful in being able to engage in dialogue and able to share knowledge back and forth. And this sense of not being self-absorbed, that becomes quite crucial for Arnold later on in his life, the stage that he's in, right? His, his act four. So he's now he's gone through the bodybuilding phase. He's become, he's become the most successful bodybuilder. He become one of the most successful action heroes. He was the governor of, you know, one of the largest economies, that being California. And so in his fourth act in life, where he's now this wise man who's gone through this life, he realizes that the most important thing in life is not to be self-absorbed. It's to help others. It's, it's to share knowledge. And he gets a taste of this very early on when he gets recruited to help train the Special Olympic athletes. So he's there and he's helping these boys, you know, with their weights. And he's helping these boys and giving them encouragement and he tells a story of one boy who, through Arnold's encouragement, grew in confidence as he was doing the bench press. So he said, Arnold says, standing there watching these boys celebrate the achievement of their friends, I was filled with a kind of joy that was almost spiritual. It was overwhelming. I was confused. I hadn't made money. This wasn't a move that advanced my career. If I'm being honest, I didn't feel like I was doing all that much in terms of exertion or sacrifice. So why was I this happy? And Arnold goes on to say the reason he was this happy is because he was helping somebody else. He was helping the next generation. He was helping people find their purpose. He was helping people find meaning. He was he was giving people confidence through his encouragement. And he mentions a speech from Sergeant Shriver, who is his father-in-law. And Shriver gives this speech at Yale in 1994. So this is a quote from that speech. Break your mirrors. Yes, indeed, shatter the glass. In our society that is so self-absorbed, begin to look less at yourself and more at other people and more at each other. Learn more about the face of your neighbor and less about your own. When you get to be 30, 40, 50, or even 70 years old, you get more happiness and contentment out of counting your friends than counting your dollars. You'll get more satisfaction from having improved your neighborhood, your town, your state, your country, and your fellow human beings than you'll ever get 
from your muscles, your figure, your automobile, your house, or your credit rating. You'll get more from being a peacemaker than a warrior. Break the mirrors. You know, what Sargent is getting at is, you know, your source of happiness will come from your ability to give, to give back. Your happiness will come from your charity, your ability to give to those in need, to give back to your community, to give back to your friends, to give back, to acknowledge the people who've helped you along the way. This sense of community orientation is nothing new to us. We talked about this in Tribe in Sebastian Junger's episode where settlers in the early USA couldn't figure out why some of the settlers were abandoning the settlement and, and going and joining the Indian tribes and living with them and becoming one of them. You know, they couldn't figure this out. And what was even happening was when these when these settlers who had, who, had, who had joined the Indian tribes, when they were brought back into the community, sometimes they would escape back or, or other times they would start living like the Indians were living. And that frustrated the, uh, you know, the leaders of the settlement. But the reason that the tribe life was so appealing, and it is appealing to people now, is because there's a very strong sense of community. Right, a sense of community that's very difficult to find in 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 cities and in liberal society as a whole. Right, you you tend to find this community, say, in like the east. Very difficult to find it in the west. It's not impossible, of course, and it does exist, and it exists especially if you are in religious groups. Right, if you go to a church, if you go to the mosque, if you go to the temples, if you go to the synagogues, there are very strong community ties. And that is as close as you're going to get to this sense of tribal, unified way of living that that the early settlers were experiencing. If you're not religious, then you have to be even more intentional because with these religious groups, you know, every week there's a built-in sense of community every week, right? You go to church, you go to the synagogue, you go to the temple, you go to the mosque. But if you're not religious, you don't have that ritual built in. So you have to be quite intentional. And it's possible to do. And people are doing this, especially online, right? They're, they're finding groups that are similar to them, like-minded, and they're going, getting together and talking and discussing. Or you could, be, you could be going to the gym. You could be going to martial art academies. There you'll also find very strong communities. And that's why people tend to stay and stick around. And Sergeant's point is, look, the greatest source of contentment that you're going to get as a human being is when you feel like you're part of something larger than yourself, when you feel like you're part of the community and you're giving back, you're giving back the resources that you've earned, you're giving back your time. And that 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 is very, very true, right? This is why it's important for us to cultivate these strong communities, to have very strong friends, to have people that you can trust, that people confide in, and to have a sense of purpose that's larger than yourself. And one of the things that Arnold says is, Helping others is not just a greater source of happiness. It actually makes those things you want for yourself more meaningful and more precious. The meaning that we want, the meaning that you're looking for, the purpose that you're looking for, you're going to find it in your ability to help other people because you love in how much you love others. And with that, I'm going to wrap. Thank you for listening. If you're not already subscribed, please subscribe give Becoming Anti-Fragile a rating on on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to it. And if there's somebody that you think will find this episode helpful, share it with them. And most importantly, thank you for listening. And finally, Happy New Year. And remember, when Sean, then Sean, whatever you do, 
Do it with everything that you got and go all out. Don't hold back. Don't half-ass. Go all in. Until next week, peace.